Alyssa Ronick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pablo. This is always a treat. So I'm sitting here in New York City, Alyssa, and the U.S. Open is beginning today. And everybody, as you might imagine, is buzzing about Serena Williams and really the Williams sisters because this feels like the last chapter for Serena. It might be her last tournament. So I'm just curious why you decided to write this profile of Coco Goff at this moment. You know, for looking at the beginning of one story and the ending of one story, I mean, nothing dovetails better than the Williams sisters into what could be a long story for Coco Goff. Coco is 18. She's risen to the number 12 ranked player in the world. She's, you know, she turned pro just just three years ago. She just had her first Grand Slam final in, in singles. is through to a first major final. We felt this was a really perfect time to profile this young player who's looking at a long, beautiful career and who really has modeled herself after the Williams sisters. If you think about Serena's first U.S. Open title in 1999, Coco wasn't born for five years. All she has known is the Williams sisters as the most dominant force. Is Serena Williams as the, the greatest player in her sport. Yeah, it's a little startling to realize that Venus and Serena have been around for so long now that there is, in fact, this entire generation of young tennis players like Coco Goff who have been watching them for literally as long as they can remember. As a little girl, as a, you know, five, six, seven-year-old girl who was trying to find her place in sports, she saw these two young black girls playing tennis on television at the highest level of the sport and was inspired by them. And if not for those two women, probably wouldn't have asked her, her parents to buy her a tennis racket and give tennis a try. You know, that's an important thing to remember as we talk about her story going forward is that, you know, tennis really was her choice as a child. It was something she says spoke to her. And it really was about seeing these two women playing tennis at the highest level when she was a little girl. The players I looked up to were definitely Serena and Venus um, Williams. I didn't really look up to anybody else, to be honest. I didn't watch anybody else growing up, only them. And they were dominating the game, so I didn't really look to see for anyone else. I was like, Serena, Venus, Serena, Venus, Serena, Venus. She had Venus and Serena posters on her walls. As she was developing her game, she was modeling her shots off of theirs. I mean, they really were the blueprint for how she was developing as a player. And when she says that's all she watched, it really was all she watched. You know, she said it wasn't until she really got into the higher levels of the game that she knew other players' names. And not because she wasn't a fan, she just, her world was very small. Her world was Venus and Serena Williams. And so right now, Alyssa, you're describing this moment of almost historical symmetry mm. presenting itself to an 18-year-old. That's such a lovely way to put it. But the, yeah, that's exactly what it is. As one story is ending, another story is very much just beginning. Yeah. 
You know the story of Serena and Venus Williams. We all do, obviously, at this point. It has been told in movies and podcasts and articles. And now, after almost three decades, Serena is evolving away from tennis, as she put it this month, which turns our attention to a teenager who does not just love that story, but actually embarked upon a 10-year plan to live that story herself. So today, on the first day of the U.S. Open, we trace the trajectory of Coco Gauff, the impending future of American women's tennis, a young woman who has gone from cosplaying as Serena Williams to writing a remarkable story of her own. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, August 29th. This is ESPN Daily. Alyssa Raonic, you spent all of this quality time with Coco Goff, the person that is considered the next great American tennis superstar among the women. But before we get into like the actual meat of the tennis stuff here, I just want to know what an 18-year-old Coco Goff is like. Like you hung out with her. How would you describe her personality? She is a couple of things. When she is sitting down in a professional manner doing an interview really turning it on, thinking about her sport as her profession. She is so poised and mature. It's very easy to forget she is 18 and she graduated from high school a few months ago. But when she's palling around with her little brothers, when we're just having off-the-cuff conversations, there were so many moments where I was reminded, okay, she is 18, she is a kid. Davy should be with Paxton. I don't care about Ben. Watch me style an outfit around my shoes. The upside down is real. The upside down is real. Her mom says that she's got a lot of teenagerness in her. She's very immature off the court at times, um, very playful, very into the Marvel um, characters. Don't want to do chores. Her grandparents, her parents all mentioned her <laughs> distaste of bed making. <laughs> Apparently that is a problem in the Goff household. Yeah, established <laughs> scouting report for Coco Goff hates making the bed. Yeah, but I loved that, right? I loved that reminder that throughout all of this, you know, she has to be really mature and really poised in so many moments, but she is also a teenager. You know, we were talking about her taking her brother's bowling and, and she mentioned, you know, oh my gosh, can you imagine like they had gone to eat dinner and they'd gone bowling and she's like, can you imagine people do that at the same place? Like you just stick your fingers in a bowling ball and then you eat with those same hands? Like that's so gross, you know? And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, you have so much to learn, young Coco. So much to learn. But where does the story start for Coco, Alyssa? What's her family like? Where is she from? So she was born in Delray Beach, Florida. That's something that I don't think a lot of people realize about her, but they moved to Atlanta when she was quite young. Her father had played college basketball there. Her mother ran college track at Florida State. And her parents are both incredible athletes. And when she was young, you know, she says, my parents wanted an athlete. And they both could tell pretty early on that she was going to be a good one. Uh, But they really encouraged her to just try everything. My parents are both athletes, so they wanted their kids to at least try the sports. They didn't want to force us to do anything, but, you know, they wanted athletes, to be honest. I played everything. I did a lot of things, and tennis is just what spoke to me the most. 
She played soccer. She did gymnastics, basketball. And, you know, her dad said the doctor told him pretty early on she's going to be really tall. I don't know that she put her in gymnastics, let her enjoy gymnastics. I don't know that that's going to be her sport. But I think they also knew at a point that tennis seemed to be the sport that was really lighting her up. They could tell from a really young age. I just liked being alone on the court for tennis because I felt I liked the idea of all the mistakes being on me. You know, you can't really control like another person making a mistake. Um, and like I'm a little bit perfectionist, so I wanted all my mistakes to be because of me. <laughs> and so how does she become serious about the individual pursuit that is tennis? Look, we all remember being six, seven, as much as we remember it. And I don't think any of us are thinking about our future career in the sport, but they could tell, okay, this is the sport she's going to be good at. And her dad had played pretty seriously for a year or two in middle school. He's from a tennis hotspot, but he realized, I don't know enough about this sport to be a tennis dad. Yeah, a year or two in middle school does not sound like a <laughs> huge resume here. Yeah, he thought he was going to be maybe a basketball dad or a track dad, right? And so he started really studying players who were great, young. Of course, Williams' sisters was one of those. Hingis, Capriati, Narbatilova, and really tried to look and see what did they do well and what they didn't do well and what stage of development were they at along the way and who did they use as coaches and what were they doing at that time. He also inevitably started studying a, a, a famous father as well, Richard Williams. And he started looking at what their stories had in common. But it's one thing to be inspired by a success story, Alyssa. It's another thing to actually try and emulate that, right? You know, I think like any story in hindsight, right? We look back, it looks so predictable and and thought out. There was so much foresight. But I think the first thing he had to have was an incredibly gifted athlete. One of the things they noticed about Coco when she was very young was her ability to focus, to sit off by herself and focus for long periods of time. She had a you know, quiet level of determination to really do things right so she can focus on one game or object. So all those things kind of help speed up her development because she can concentrate for long periods at a time. And so he thought, well, that's, that's a gift that I can take advantage of as we're teaching her new skills and teaching her technical ability. He also says, you know, back in my neighborhood, it was there was the one intangible that we always thought about. And it's like, how much fight is in the dog? The one thing you can't measure um, is... Uh, you know, like we say for my neighborhood, how much dog does she have and how much fight does she have? You don't, you really can't measure that. And she has a lot of it. And, and if you have a lot of that in you, that can cover up for a lot of things that maybe you don't do as well as other people. So that is something that, you know, he believes you are born with and it's really tough to coach into someone. And now he wants to layer on top of that really good technical training. And so the technical training part of it was one of the things he took from those stories. He also looked and they all had, you know, great parental involvement early on, really dedicated parents. They were all homeschooled for the purpose of allowing them more time to practice. Mm. And, you know, in that respect, you know, her mother was a teacher. Her grandparents were both teachers. So she came from a family of educators and her dad thought, well, she's going to go to the best, the best school in the country <laughs> if we decide to homeschool her.
But that's a real big decision, right? To basically say all of our eggs are going into not just the homeschooling basket, but the basket where, yeah, like, as you said, Martina Hingis and Martina Navratilova right. and the Williams sisters just happen to be residing. Pablo, I, I try to put myself in their position and imagine what a heavy decision it was because they were happy. They were both really successful at their jobs. They lived in a 6,000 square foot home in the suburbs mm. of Atlanta. They had an incredible friend group. They had just had a second child who was four at the time and their life was good. Right. They didn't need to buy a lottery ticket in the way that yeah. we've heard before from other stories. And, and move back home to Delray Beach, Florida and move in with Candy's parents and, and eventually give up both of their careers to coach her full time. I mean, that is a massive decision, that kind of commitment and belief in your child. And it's it's something that they've done for all of their children. They have three incredible athletes. And, you know, even though Coco is the most famous, they really do spread out that devotion and and time. But man, it's an incredible amount of commitment from two parents. Yeah, if one of my friends, Alyssa, told me that he and his wife wanted to do something like this, right? Blow up their entire life, blow up their livelihoods to go all in on this idea that their second grader could be the next Williams sister, let's say. I would probably try to stage an intervention, honestly. It sounds kind of insane, but it also sounds like Coco's dad was incredibly strategic and incredibly calculating, if nothing else, about this bet that he was making. Well, as Corey was studying other players and parents and their paths, he also looked at the age she was. She was going to be eight soon. And at 18, that's sort of when the little baby bird flies out of the nest. And so he said, okay, I'm going to put together a 10-year plan. And that is a parent's job, is to get you to 18, to get you to a place where you're graduating from high school. But also looking at a lot of their stories, 18 seemed to be the age at which she would turn pro in his mind. It was written down as more of a stage plan. By eight years old, we want her to be doing this want to play these tournaments and accomplish this, and we'll see where she is. And uh, along the way, you know, if she crosses the benchmark faster, then you kind of change a little bit uh, the, how you're going to plan the next couple of years because, you know, the biggest weapon you really have is, is preparation. Talking to Coco about it, she's, you know, it's this sort of nebulous thing to her. She's like, I've never seen it. I've never read it. I never know when I'm following it or not following it. I didn't know it existed until... I, my dad said in an interview, like, when I was 15, I think, when Wimbledon happened. So, yeah, I have no idea what's in it. I don't know if I'm following it or not, but we'll see, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever show with a 10-year plan, but yeah. <laughs> Corey said he wrote some of it down. He and Candy would look and say, okay, at 10, we want her to be here. At 12, here. They started to notice that very quickly she was arriving at these goals sooner than they had planned. And when she's nine years old, this thing happens, Alyssa, that just makes this all incredibly <laughs> on the nose. This is one of my favorite stories, and I also loved that she hadn't told it publicly. When she was about nine years old, a local coach gave her name to a talent scout who was looking for a body double for Serena Williams in a commercial they were shooting for Delta Airlines in Palm Beach at a, at a country club. They needed a younger version of her, and I played the body double for that. Like, they just used, they didn't use my face. They just used, I don't even know if they ever released it, but they just used my neck down. She took this so seriously. And there was this moment that I love where the director asks her, can you hit a serve? And, you know, 
He just was asking, can you hit a serve? We just need a kid to hit a serve. But what she heard, of course, was, can you hit a serve like Serena Williams? <laughs> well, I remember they asked me to hit like one serve just for they had the shot. And I remember like trying to hit the serve so hard and I made it end. But it probably wasn't that hard now looking back. <laughs> And it was just the proudest moment. And she's never seen the commercial. But for her, you know, the Williams sisters had lived in Delray Beach when they first moved to Florida for about a year and a half. They went to the middle school where her grandmother taught. And so she felt this strong tug toward them and, and to their story. And so how would you describe the early returns on the experiment that was attempting to become Serena and Venus Williams? They came quickly. She was winning tournaments much sooner than they expected. And when she was 10, caught the eye of none other than Serena Williams coach, Patrick Mortoglu, who had opened an academy in Paris. Mm. And he offered Coco a grant to come to Paris and train with him. And, you know, her parents thought about it and, again, went back to that question of looking at their own stories and things that maybe they didn't have and they thought, we can't say no to this. This is an incredible opportunity. And what are the chances? It's Serena. Yeah, again. (laughs) It's Serena's coach. Starting at age 10, here she is training with Serena's coach. Serena is often there at the same time, working with him, working at his academy. And, you know, this was one of those moments, again, where her dad would say to her, you know, pay attention. You know, you can be as good as her. You can be as good as Serena. You can be better. I think sometimes you can speak things into existence. I probably said it a lot. I'm sure I said it a lot to her, that you can be the best in the world. You can be the greatest of all time. I always tell her that. You can be greater than even Serena Williams. Coming up, Coco versus Venus on the biggest stage in tennis. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Alyssa, this is where I want to fast forward to Wimbledon in 2019 because I'm doing the math here. And yes, Coco Golf is 15. So what happened exactly? This is really where the world at large first heard of Coco Goff. She had turned pro that spring. She had just played in the qualifying at the French Open. They're in Paris and her father finds out she's been offered a wild card to play in Wimbledon. And they really didn't know if they were going to take it. You could only take two 
as a young player and they were planning to take one at the US Open and they asked Coco and she says, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. You know, they were worried. It's a big stage. Yes. And she yes. had to win three really tough qualifying matches just to make the draw. You know, this is a wild card into the qualifying and she does it. You know, she says she wants to do it. She does it. She wins these three tough matches. And then her family finds out who she's drawn in the first round at Wimbledon. And it's Venus Williams. <laughs> and then I saw the draw and I played Venus Williams. And I was really ex excited with the draw because um, I always wanted to play her. And did I think I could win that match? No, because like it was Serena Venus, you know, all the time in my head. This is this is where you begin to wonder, like, maybe the universe is just pranking me, right? You know, so her father said exactly that. He just started laughing and he was like, are you kidding me? This, all this work and, and what? And her mom was really worried. Oh my goodness, you know, she suffered some tough losses. We don't want this to just derail her and just this to be this massive disappointment. We hope she wins a, a, a game, maybe a set. And when they told Coco... She just heard, you know, her dad, I could hear her voice. She goes, yay! And he says, oh, <laughs> so you're good with that. You heard what I said, right? Venus Williams. Yeah, the one who won Wimbledon five times. The one who we modeled our lives after. Like, that's the reaction. She was thrilled. She thought, I'm yeah. going to get to play my idol. It was not about winning. She, at first, she didn't even consider the fact that she could win. You know, she said that a couple of people put into her mind very shortly before the match. You know, you can go into this match and try to win it. You could win this. And and there was a moment when she went, oh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it really was just about this incredible opportunity. How do you deal with this as a parent, right? Like, if you're Corey, if you're Candy, her mom and dad, like, how are you parenting her before this match takes place? Well, they kept all of those thoughts I just shared with you to themselves. <laughs> they did not want her to know how nervous they were for her. And then her parents each did something very special. They went, she had never seen court one. And so they took her to court one at Wimbledon and they wanted her, you know, she, they wanted her to walk by those five pictures of Venus Williams on the wall that you have to pass by as previous champion before you get to the court. And mm. then they walked out onto the court and Corey said the first thing she said was, it's so big. And she kind of walked in and I remember her mom saying, hey, Coach looked around and said, wow, this is a big court. And her mom said, but the lines are still the same. <laughs> Net's still the same height. Same tennis. So we kind of walked away with that saying, like, look, the lines are still the same. Just go out and play. And her dad says this sort of wonderful thing to her when he notices that a moment is getting too big. And he says, take your mind back to Pompeii. And Pompeii Park is the park that she learned to play tennis on. And it's just this reminder to be, to put herself into a safe, comfortable place. Her mom calls it an old shoe. Just put that old shoe on and go out onto the court. And so... She really tried to think about those two things and when she walked out with her headphones on the, the next day. Yeah, I mean, her parents do a little Gene Hackman, a little Hoosiers before the match. And you mentioned this return to Pompeii. It did feel volcanic what happened thereafter. What a debut. What an opening set. And it's Goff who takes it by six games to four. She won. <laughs> Let's just cut right to it. At 15, she's facing her idol, 
five-time Wimbledon champion, Venus Williams, and she wins in straight sets. It's a dream debut for the 15-year-old. And what's the celebration like after a match like that? Well, the first thing that happens is she drops to her knees and then stands up and puts her hand in a racket over her head. You can just tell she is in disbelief. A couple of weeks ago, she was at home in Florida. Last week, she was playing in the first round of the qualifying. And I think we are seeing a champion in the making. And what happens next is the thing that has always stayed with me and the moment you know, lots of young players have big moments and and rise to the big moment because they're, like we said, she was sort of like a little kid off in outer space, not really comprehending how big the moment during the match was. But afterward, she walks to the net, composes herself on the way. And as they go to shake hands, I just kept thinking, man, most of us would have one of those moments where afterwards you just think, ah, I meant to say this. I wanted to say this. It's, it's the it's the car ride. It's the car ride home moment where you're like, oh, I was I was going to say this to her, and instead, this 15 year old girl has just beaten her idol. And as they go to shake hands, it's usually very quick. And and she realized in the moment, oh, I I thought I was going to be shaking hands with her as the loser and doing this. Now I've beaten her. She's not happy about it. She takes her hand, and Coco takes Venus's hand, and she pulls her into her stomach. So she's holding her hand at her own stomach. Mm. And now Venus is leaning over the net and they start walking and Coco does not let go of her hand. And she is staring into Venus's eyes with this incredible intensity and does not let go of her hand until she's finished saying what she said. And one of my favorite things about doing this piece was I've always wanted to ask her about that because to me, the maturity and the confidence and the poise to do this in that moment, said even more than the match itself. Yes. And she said to her, thank you. I think I just said thank you for everything, and I wouldn't be doing this with, you know, doing playing tennis without, you know, her influence. And she says, you know, in the moment, I don't know if Venus wanted to hear anything from me, but later (laughs) Venus was able to say to her, thank you, that really meant a lot. She also said she finally watched the replay of that moment. She said, oh, my God, I was so embarrassing. But I don't know why I pulled her in, hand, her hand in. I remember watching that afterwards, and I was like, I don't know why I did that. And I, like, held on to her hand for so long. And I just think it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. I, I, I go back to that moment all the time. Is That moment at the net was Coco Goff's breakout moment, even more than the hour and a half that had preceded it. Up next, how Coco Gauff finally started being honest with us and herself. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs of real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. 
and you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So I want to bring us back to the present tense here, Alyssa, because from afar right now, it looks like Coco Goff is at this intensely coiled moment of liftoff. And she has just made her first Grand Slam final at the French Open in June. She's ranked number 12 in the world in singles. She's also number one in the world in doubles, by the way. So how different is she from that 15-year-old who could not stop shaking Venus's hand in England? Like, what's changed in her approach to the game? Coco says things for her, her mental approach, her perception of the game really started to shift for her in Paris at the French Open this year. She's always had a really special relationship with Paris, starting with training there at a young age and winning her first junior match there. She had just graduated from high school, so she had all that schoolwork out of the back of her mind. And she started taking walks and realizing that it wasn't just about the trophy. It wasn't just about focusing on winning or losing. It really was about being in the moment and enjoying the moments, the hard ones and the great ones, and being really present. Definitely had a perspective shift, just walking around the streets of Paris and just realizing that life is so much more than tennis and just little things. It's just looking at some birds playing. I don't know. It's just little stuff that really shifted my mindset and realized there's so much more to this than winning and losing. And so I think that took a lot of the pressure off of me because I wasn't focused on that. I was focused on enjoying the moment. And, you know, I, I don't want, you know, to finish tennis and think that I and regret that I didn't enjoy it um, because this life is enjoyable and I have a lot of fun, but I didn't want to, I don't want to regret not having as much fun as I could have had because I was worried about results. That mindset she carried with her throughout that match and and I think she's continuing to carry that mindset with her right now. Yeah, which is, by the way, like a pretty advanced mentality for an 18-year-old. The idea to actually care about the present tense as history and an increasingly freighted future is is just looming now right in front of you in New York. I, I'm wondering, because of all that stuff, like, how does the pressure feel to her? I know she's she's focused on presence, but how does that seep in, all of the all of the expectation? The biggest difference is she's willing to admit it. That was something she said in our interview that was really striking. 
where she said, I'm about to admit something that I never really admitted before. And it's that in a lot of moments like this, I was lying. When I was younger and when I would do these interviews, I will, you know, I would lie. <laughs> I would lie a lot and say that I didn't feel the pressure. I mean, there's so many interviews where I say I don't feel pressure at all. I don't, I don't fall into it, blah, blah, blah. And I was lying because <laughs> it was, I mean, obviously, yeah, I feel, I feel it, but I was lying. And I think I was lying just so I could almost believe into myself that I wasn't feeling it. But in reality, I was. She said, I think the, the first step to healing from a problem is admitting you have a problem. So she's like, I'm admitting right now that I have a problem or I had a problem. And, and the problem was not being true to myself in those moments and, and in those answers and that there is pressure. And I'm really learning to be honest about it with myself and to deal with it. And, and one of the things that I think also really poises her to be able to handle this next moment is, you know, she really loves the extracurricular part of it. She's a people person. She's an extrovert. She really likes and loves doing interviews and photo shoots and meeting with her fans and spending time with kids and sitting in press conferences. I mean, you see this Federer-esque ability in her to just hold court in a press conference. You know, those things are really important when they're part of your job and you actually enjoy doing them. And you're on the road in what can be a really isolating sport. Right. I mean, that is also also advanced, right, for, for Coco Golf to have charisma behind a microphone and to be able to talk in, it seems like, almost therapy-adjacent terms about what it's like to be the person not named Serena Williams that everybody's going to be watching in New York this week. And what does this week feel like to her then, given that mentality? She's really excited. You know, she believes she will hold that trophy, not necessarily this year, but that one day she will hold it. She's not holding herself to the expectation of doing it this year. That's my favorite slam. Um, obviously playing in the home crowd. I hope I can win in front of them. That's the goal, but um, we'll see um, how that goes. But um, I know one day I'll, I'll hold the trophy there. When the draw came out on Thursday, you know, she had this one other wish that there would be this other poetic moment where she would draw Serena Williams in the first or second round. But that did not happen. Um, but I think just the fact that they're going to be there together, both Williams sisters and Coco playing in likely the U.S. Open for the last time together at the same time is 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 very, very special. And so at the end here, Alyssa, as we look forward to the U.S. Open and everything that Coco Golf may bring New York City, where are we with the 10-year plan? Like, how does that fit into things now? The 10-year plan is in the rear view. Arguably, it was in the rear view three years ago when she turned pro. But now as she looks ahead, she's, she's off the family plan and she's on the, she's on the Coco Golf plan. And she says for a long time, she would say, I want to be the next Serena. I want to be greater than Serena. I want to win 24 Grand Slams because I thought that's what people wanted to hear. But now I say it because it's what I want for myself. So now I'm in the mindset, it's great that people say things about me and I'm thankful and I feel privileged for it and I'm, I take it as a compliment, but I don't feel like, I don't feel obligated to fulfill it and I don't, care about it really because I feel like I was when I was taking that into my mindset and taking that I feel like I, 
then I was stepping on the court to be that and not be what I wanted to be for myself. And I think I was stepping onto the court trying to be the next American, whatever, or the next Serena or the next whatever. And that's not why I play tennis. I play tennis for myself. She still has incredibly lofty goals. And, and one of the things about the Williams sisters story that she really wants to keep with her is their longevity. Serena really came into her own. She won so many of those 23 Grand Slams in her mid to late 20s and after 30. And that is the kind of longevity that Coco wants. She wants to be on her own timeline, not, not any of ours. And I think that is what she's bringing into New York is perspective and a desire to go into every Grand Slam expecting and hoping to play well enough to win but also the perspective to know that might not happen and it might not happen for a few years and that doesn't mean she doesn't still want to be one of the greatest players in the game one of the greatest to ever play the game really it sounds, Alyssa, like Coco Goff is officially trying to establish what it means to be her own person. Absolutely. I think that's what we were all doing around the age of 18, right? And so she's just doing it with a few more eyes on her while she figures that out. Alyssa Rodick, thank you as always for joining us. Thank you, Pablo. This was really fun. I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.